You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Che. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. Tell you what, um, I'm, it is a blessing uh, to hear those young ladies play piano. I, prior to coming here, I spent a lot of years in small, struggling Baptist churches, and as you, some many of you know, small, struggling Baptist churches do not have piano players. I've always been impressed how how many piano players we have in our church and up and coming. So it's a great blessing. We should always thank the Lord for that. So. Um, I don't have a story for you all tonight. The last time I was up here, uh, the story ended tragically. The poor gazelle, and uh, I'm sorry about that, but we we needed that for the illustration. So, now I just want to talk to you a little bit about what I'm what I'm doing tonight. Um, I'm, I'm beginning a short series, is what I'm doing, and Lord willing, and Pastor Willing, of course, uh, this will continue the next couple times I'm up here. But it's I'm calling it Life Skills for a Growing Christian, and it will be done in three parts. So I'm going to get straight to the point here and give you I'm going to give you those three skills right now. Understanding we're only going to get into the first one uh, tonight. But if you're taking notes, uh, and I know many of you do take notes, uh, those skills are going to be number one, the ability to see yourself. That's the one we're going to delve into tonight, the ability to see yourself. The second one will be the ability to measure your words. And the third one will be the power to refrain from projecting. And I'm going to talk about that just a little bit. To the first point, let me say this, though. Allow me to dispel... In your minds, uh, any notion you might have that you can truly see yourself. You cannot. And I'll show that as we go on. Some of the most powerful people who ever lived lacked the ability to truly see themselves. Some of the most competent and capable people that we know personally are still at least slightly ridiculous because they can't see themselves the way other people see them. And some of the most confident people in history destroyed themselves because they did not understand their limitations. More on that later. To the second skill, the ability to measure your words. Um, Here's where we will better understand that the measure of your words, the impact and reach of your words, are not simply the natural result of your intentions. This is why last time we talked about, if you'll remember, those of you who were here, we talked about how your actions, including your words... Uh, far outweigh your intentions. And um, we can't assume when someone misunderstands us uh, that they're doing it on purpose or it's through some error on their part. Now, that does happen, okay? There are people, unfortunately, who are just bent on misunderstanding us. That's, I understand that. However, ultimately, we must take responsibility for our words. And if we are to do that properly... We must measure them before they come out of our mouths. So we'll be looking at that later on. And finally, to the third skill, the power to refrain from projecting. I don't want to go into too much detail right now, but we will learn what projecting is, why we do it, okay, and how we can gain mastery over that tendency that we have uh, to go about measuring the world and measuring the people in it by the yardstick that is ourselves. And we will hopefully take meekness to a whole new level. 
But for now, we will be looking at the ability to see yourself. There's work. I'm not going to have you stand, okay? But have your Bibles ready. We will be looking at a lot of scriptures tonight. But let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just... Uh, Lord, we, we come to you humbly, Lord, and, and, and we pray, Lord, for understanding. Lord, I ask that you bless this message and help me, Lord, to deliver it as you've shown it to me, Lord, clearly and, and with authority, the authority of your word, Lord. And uh, I pray for open hearts, Lord. Pray for open minds. Lord, just uh, have your will over that uh, this evening, Lord. We pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So, the ability to see yourself. We can break that out into three components. And again, if you're taking notes, here's your three points. Number one, self-perception. Number two, how others perceive us. And number three, how God sees us. So we'll be looking at those, those three. And again, for you note-takers, I'm going to be really nice to you this first section. I'm going to give you your outline as we go. It's going to, it's, it's going to be very simple. A, B, C, and D, and they will be alliterated, so this, will, this, should, this should be nice. It breaks down after that, but whatever. Okay, so letter A. A stands for all about me. And as Brother Dusty said recently in his, in his sermon, I am my favorite person. Yes, sir. Amen. <laughs> there is no doubt about it. Despite my efforts, and I can't even say my best efforts, just my efforts, I have to admit that for the most part, my thoughts, my emotions, my opinions, my daily goals, my aims are heavily influenced by the dictates of my own heart and nobody else's heart, just my heart. And so what does the Bible say about our hearts? And we know this one. Some of you could probably quote it. Jeremiah 17, 9. We don't need to turn to that one, but I'll, I'll tell you when to turn. But uh, Jeremiah 17, 9. Who knows that one, by the way, by heart? Miss Amanda. <laughs> okay, good effort. The heart is deceitful. <laughs> there you go. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So, first of all, we have our heart to contend with, right? Day in and day out, whatever impulses we have, whatever we fancy, we must sift through the deceitfulness of our own hearts. So, it starts by being aware of this fact. And then we must make decisions according to godly knowledge and a right focus. Jesus says, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And we, in this we see the principle of self-denial. And I believe that we can apply this principle of self-denial to our own perception of ourselves. In application then, in application we can say, If any man would truly see himself, let him deny himself. And although it is very natural to be very generous with our own estimation, we should question our motives uh, daily, even hourly sometimes. For example, am I being kind or do I want something? Am I serving selflessly or do I want recognition? Am I really trying to build a brother up in sincerity or am I flattering them because I want their favor? Am I taking this job? Because it is truly the Lord's will, or am I attracted to the material aspect of it? Do I show people that I love them, or are those just words I say? Do I pray for people when I say I will, or do I just want to appear spiritual? Yeah. Mm. All right, 
That was letter A. Letter B, blind. Furthermore, we are blind by nature. Now turn your Bible to Revelation chapter 3. And like I say, keep it handy. We'll be doing a lot of flipping tonight. Revelation chapter 3. That's at the end, by the way. I'll read verse 17, and here he is addressing the Laodiceans. Jesus says this, Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, there it is, and naked. Here he is describing a very stark difference between self-perception and reality. He is describing a people who believe themselves to be, in their own view, rich and increased with goods and needing nothing. Yet, in reality, they are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And by the way, this is just extra. When Jesus describes something, you better bet that's reality. Okay? And yet, you know, how, how can this be? Well, it's because they are self-deceived, because they fail to see themselves as they really are. And most importantly about this particular passage, he's talking to church people. Okay? There's no reason to believe that he's talking to lost people or to unbelievers. There may be a smattering of them in the church, okay? However, these are church members whom he had described in the previous verse as lukewarm. Remember the ones he wants to spit out of his mouth? Still, it is a warning to us. We are the blind ones by nature. So do not deceive yourselves. Take heed to God's word and to God's warnings. Letter C, conceit. We are conceited. Turn to Proverbs 26, if you will. Give you a moment. Proverbs 26, verse 12. Now go ahead and read that as soon as I hear just a little bit less flipping. Let's see. Are we there? Say amen if you're there. Amen. All right. Proverbs 26, verse 12 reads this. Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There is more hope of a fool than of him. It is natural to think better of ourselves than how we really are. But the Bible tells us that the hope of such a man is no better than that of a fool. Why is this? It's because he has fooled himself. He will not listen to sound advice. He will not take correction. He will not endure an opinion contrary to his own. He has it all figured out. But the Bible warns us in Romans 12.3, and you don't need to turn there, but in Romans 12.3 it says this, For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according to as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. See that word soberly, what does that mean? It means realistically. Whenever we say, uh, you've heard this expression when we say, well, that's a sobering thought, what does that mean? It means it's, it's, a, it's like a splash of cold water. It wakes us up out of whatever fantasy we happen to be in at that moment. Soberly. Uh, with gravity, seriously, realistically. So this is a call then for humility, and not outward humility only, right, but true inward humility. It's a call to think soberly about oneself. I'll give you a couple more verses. Uh, Proverbs, you're already in Proverbs. Proverbs 25, if you look right there, it's just a 
probably a page away. Verse 27 says this, It is not good to eat much honey. So for men to search their own glory is not glory. What does it mean? Well, the Bible here is teaching then that self-glorification and self-praise is no real praise at all. Instead, it is boasting and vanity. Even if it doesn't come out of your mouth, you need to understand that just in case we think, well, I'm not a braggart. I don't go around bragging about myself. It happens on the inside. That's where it starts. Proverbs 27, verse 2. That's uh, very close by there. Proverbs 7, 27, verse 2. It says this. We all know this one. Let another man praise thee and not thine own mouth, a stranger and not thine own lips. Let others sing your praises then, right? If you be worthy of praise, then let others sing your praises. And you think about that word praise. The very nature of praise is that it is given, not taken. So, and, and so we have this advice then from uh, the Holy Word. And then letter D, uh, deceived. We are deceived by pride. We allow ourselves to be conceited because of pride. We are deceived by our own pride. Turn to Obadiah. Obadiah. Where is Obadiah? That's, it's near Jonah. I remember that. Obadiah. Poor little book. Probably doesn't get quoted very often, but he plays a good he plays a role tonight. Say amen if you're there. Amen. All right, Obadiah. I just want to read verse three. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? This verse brings out the contrast between self-reliance and reliance on God. Historically, it, des it describes the Edomites uh, who dwelt in the carved clefts of the rock and in, in high places that eventually became the city of Petra. Everybody knows what the city of Petra. Okay, when, when at this time it hadn't been finished out yet, but there was already caves and, and places where the Edomites uh, lived. And they thought that they, because they held the high ground in those caves that they were unassailable, that they were unconquerable. So in their human wisdom, they thought that they didn't need help, that they could control their own faith, that they did not need to worry about intruders. And this is like the human condition. Now, a long time ago, to use a cultural reference, a long time ago, Clint Eastwood's uh, character, the inspector Harry Callahan, somebody remember him? He said, a man's got to know his limitations. I always remember that. My dad used to quote that one all the time growing up. But oftentimes we don't. We build fortresses in our own hearts. We build them up with our own two hands, right? And how dare anyone tear them down? Pastor just quoted recently, 1 Peter 5, 7. Remember that? Cast all your care, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And we've got to think, why would we not do that? Why would you not cast all your cares upon the Lord? It's simple, because we think we can handle it ourselves. Because we esteem our own abilities higher than we ought. Because we trust in our own wisdom first. And hey, you know, if that doesn't work out, well then maybe I'll try God. Hmm. Now then, time out. 
going to ask a question here. What is humility exactly? As we're talking about it, how the, the need for humility, what is humility? Let's make sure we're thinking correctly about humility. It is not simply self-deprecation, okay? It's not just putting yourself down for the sake of putting yourself down. We must not think of humility as merely having the choice between thinking very highly of ourselves or thinking very poorly or meanly of ourselves and feeling compelled to choose the second option. That, that may be a good exercise, okay? That's a good mental exercise. However, true humility is to not think of oneself at all. That is the truest and purest form of humility, to not think of oneself at all. C.S. Lewis writes about this humility, and he calls it beautiful forgetfulness, meaning forgetfulness of the self. In one of his allegories, he talks about art, and he makes this point. He says, there will be no paintings in heaven. I'm always astonished sometimes when, I'm, when, when I read him. He makes these stark statements, you know, without any evidence. And I'm like, why, why are you saying that? And then he, it turns out to be quite logical. And I was like, oh, okay, that, that's, what I, that, that's what you meant. He's right. But he said, there will be no paintings in heaven. Why not? Well, here on earth, right, we need paintings to give us glimpses of beauty. Pictures of what others see, images of what is entirely external to ourselves. Why? That we may admire it, that we may cherish it. But in heaven, there will be no need for that. We will see more clearly than we ever have before. And for the artist, in the beginning anyway, for the artist, his true love is not, it's not the painting itself, but the light that it describes. And in heaven, we will see the most beautiful and purest light possible. And we would never trade, even for a moment, that light for a description of that light. No, we would never do that. We would never turn our eyes towards something that we created or that we crafted. In fact, at that moment, we will forget all about what we can do and what we can make. And so here on earth, our painter, well, he's just a human being just like us. And as surely as a man tends to fall in love with his own abilities, the painter may fall in love with his paintings after a while. And he may leave off of truly admiring the thing which is wholly external to himself. And that's like us. We too lose our wonderment at the external, if we ever had it at all. And we tend to focus on the internal. Even our vision becomes selfish. However, I believe that we should strive instead we should strive to see things the way we're going to see things in heaven. Our vision will be wholly focused outwardly, and we won't be concerned about our own aims, our plans, our, de our designs, our talents. We won't even be thinking about that. I'll give you a couple more verses. You don't need to turn there. Philippians 2.3 says this, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. And in Mark 9.35, the Lord Jesus Christ says, If any man desire to be first, the same sh shall be last of all and servant of all. While we are here on earth as God's children, I would say, turn your vision away from yourself and towards others, and you will begin to practice how we will see things in heaven. And this is the aim of humility, to stop thinking about yourself, to stop looking at yourself, and look outwardly towards others, towards God. Okay, time in. That was self-perception. I am going to run out of water.
Oh boy. All right, so let's look at point two, the perception of others. Now I'm going to start with this verse, and it's found in Proverbs 11. You can turn there if you like. Proverbs 11. I'm quoting a lot out of Proverbs, and well, that should not be a surprise. It is a book of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14. I will read that now. And again, we're very familiar with this verse. It says, where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. I believe that the precept in the first half of the verse applies to the individual as well. Where there is no counsel, a man may fall into error. And likewise, as in the second half of the verse, in the multitude of counselors, there is a measure of safety. Um, so I do believe it is important to seek counsel from others. Uh, someone who is external to your situation can give you insight that you may not be able to see. So I'm starting by saying there is value in weighing the perception of others. However, we must be careful. Turn to Romans chapter 14. We're going to read a couple verses in here. We just went over this in our Sunday school class. That's the uh, foundations class, by the way, ages 40 through 60. Uh, thank you, uh, Pastor, for not making me stand the other day. I don't, I don't think it would have made a difference anyway, but... Romans chapter 14, I'm going to read verse 17 through 18, and we're going to draw out... A yet another principle. Starting in verse 17, it says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. So there is a principle in this passage. It is the principle of approval. And there is an order implied within that principle. You look at verse 18 where it says, He that in these things, right, serves Christ. What things? Look at verse 17, right? Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So righteousness, and like I said, we covered this in, in, in my uh, Sunday school class, so this should sound familiar to some of you. But righteousness is something that we cannot attain ourselves. We need Christ for that. We need God for that. We need the grace of God for that. And the more that we wholly rely on God for righteousness instead of trying to establish our own, the stronger we become in the faith and a better witness for the Lord. And peace, peace is something we are commanded to seek. When we live among our brethren and among other men in a spirit of charity, that is selfless love, and forbearance, which is, in a sense, refraining from offending others and being offended by others. And mutual understanding and consideration, we gain the approval of God and men. When we serve with joy in the Holy Spirit, men will see that. They will recognize an ease of living that they simply do not have. A steadfastness through trials. Praising God even through hard times. This brings glory to God, and in addition to amazement, it brings about the approval of men. 
And so serving in these things, as the scripture puts it, leads then to two things, being acceptable to God and being approved of men. So we can conclude then that the approval of men, it is a desirable thing if it is obtained in the correct order. First to be approved of God by serving him in righteousness, peace, and joy, and then the righteous approval of men will follow. But, and here's the warning, right? But if you live a life of deceit and your righteousness is only an outward show, if you do not live, labor to live peaceably with all men, if you do not have joy in the Holy Ghost, then you will not receive good counsel from others. Not only will you fail to be approved of men in the way that God desires for us, thereby wrecking your ability to testify of God, others will be unable to give us sound counsel. Why is that? Because when we begin by deceiving ourselves, we go on to deceive others. We skew their perception of us to the point that they cannot help us. And as I was going looking through this earlier today, it, it occurred to me too, this, this is what makes counseling people so hard, so difficult. Um, as pastor says sometimes, I mean, pastor, he has the Bible. He's got the book that has all the answers, but he's not a mind reader. And he cannot possibly know to what degree you have deceived yourself. He cannot possibly know um, what, what misperceptions you have. Uh, it makes things very difficult. So, uh, and then all this that I'm saying, though, it, it's, this is just dealing with people who would otherwise wish to deal honestly and honorably with us. That's the best case scenario. But not everyone does that, right? Uh, there's a saying I saw recently somewhere on the Internet. I don't remember where. But some of, it, some of which reads this. Kindness without honesty is manipulation. Kindness without honesty is manipulation. And the Bible warns us against this. Let's get back to Proverbs for a little bit. Proverbs 26. Might as well just kind of keep your thumb in Proverbs because we, we're just going to keep going back there. Proverbs 26. Verse 28, it says, A lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it, and a flattering mouth worketh ruin. Flattery. Well, the Bible warns us against that, right? We must have discernment in these matters uh, when someone comes to you with compliments and praise, because the flattering person cares not for you, but for themselves. They are interested in what they might gain by currying favor with you. A flattering person will manipulate you even to the point of ruin. Beware. A few pages over, Proverbs 6. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 24. We'll look at that. Proverbs 6, 24, it says this, To keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Oh, the evil woman. You know what? It could say evil man there, too. Okay, because, I mean, the Bible's not picking on women, all right? Uh, because it could just as easily say evil man, especially in our time. Um, so beware, young person. Beware, single person. 
Do they praise you and shower you with compliments because they want something in return? And don't those flowery words make you feel so special? But don't lose your head. They don't care if they ruin your purity, young people. Damage your testimony. They don't care if they plunge you into sin and immorality. They are interested only in their own gratification, not your honor in the Lord. Now back to Proverbs uh, 20. Here we will read uh, verse 19. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 19. This is a good one. I really enjoyed this one. Because I hadn't thought about this before, but I, did, but I will now. Proverbs 20, verse 19. It says this, He that goeth about as a talebearer revealeth secrets. Therefore meddle not with him that flattereth with his lips. You notice the he and the him and the his, that's all the same person. Did you know that gossip is a form of flattery? Have you ever thought of it that way? I hadn't. I mean, I'll be honest, I'd never thought of it that way. But here it is in the Bible. He that goeth about as a talebearer, that's the gossiper. And then it says, therefore meddle not with him that flattereth with his lips. So gossip is a form of flattery. The gossiper is taking you into their confidence, or so they want to make it seem. And those seedy people that they're telling you about, this juicy information, these secret shenanigans, right? Well, you're above all those things. That's why they're telling you, don't you see? You're special. Well, don't fall for it, because the flattery mouth worketh ruin. Don't be part of that. I'll conclude this section with this. Simply that the less, the less that we labor to live in righteousness, peace, and joyfulness, as the Bible tells us to, the more we are susceptible to these dangers. The more we're going to fall victim to these things, the flatterers and, and those who mislead with their words. But we're going to move on then. We're going to move on to the third part, which is how God sees us. Turn to Psalm 19. Going easy on this water. It's just a couple sips left. We'll see. When I run out of water, I keep preaching, though. Don't, don't worry about that. Turn to Psalm. Okay, we're at Psalm 19, verse 12. This is a Psalm of David, and so it says this. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. This is a Psalm of, of David, and in it we see his humble plea. His earnest uh, desire, cleanse me, O Lord, right, from secret faults. This is a humble admission that he does not fully understand his errors. And he is pleading for cleansing and forgiveness for those sins that he's not even aware of. Can we just admit that we don't see ourselves the way God does? I mean, can we admit that? And can we also see that how God sees us is the only true perception of us. We've looked at self-perception. In our own self-perception, we are deluded and deceived and blind. In the perception of others, there is little stability, no reliability. Look, the fact is, if you know 500 people, there are 500 versions of you floating around in people's minds. Ain't that right, Brother Dusty? And now Brother Dusty's thinking, 500 Dusties, Lord. Lord help us. 
No, in the Lord we find our true selves. But here's the key point, though. You have to want it. David's asking for it because he wants it. You have to want it. You have to earnestly desire to see yourself as God sees you. And not everyone really wants that. If you know anything about God, it's a frightening prospect. Now let's turn, turn once again to James chapter 1. The mirror of God's word. Most of us are familiar with this, but we're going to read it. James chapter 1. Verses 22 through 25. I'll go ahead and start there in verse 22. Is everybody there? Give it another moment or two. All right, James chapter 1, starting in verse 22, just follow along. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any, if, for if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. That's a mirror. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. God has revealed all that we need to know about ourselves in his holy word. And here in this passage, the Word of God is compared to a mirror. And so first we see in this passage, we see the self-deception that we've been discussing up to this point. When you hear the Word only, but you fail to apply it to yourself, you deceive yourself. The Bible is very clear. Too often we hear a sermon and we assume the preacher is talking about somebody else. We can even point them out if you ask us, right? But the Bible goes on to explain... That if a man hears the word and does not do it, he is like a man who looks into a mirror and then walks away as if he hadn't looked into it at all. You've heard the expression, the mirror never lies. This is because the mirror shows us truths right, about ourselves that we may not like. And the more closely we peer into a mirror, the more unsightly details it reveals. And so it is with the word of God. The closer you peer into God's word, the more you will see just how sinful you really are. And why, why is this, this comparison, this analogy so appropriate? Well, because we understand it. Everyone who looks into a mirror and sees their hair messed up, right? Something stuck in their beard. That happens too often. Something hanging out of their nose. Something stuck between their teeth, right? We do something about it, okay? We don't just walk away as if we didn't just see that, okay? But a man who would do that has deceived himself into thinking that everything is okay. And so we must see ourselves in Scripture. I know I've said that before. We must place ourselves in the sinner's shoes and understand how it is that we offend a living God. And here's a question I would put to you. How can we appreciate God's mercy if we don't really believe we have sinned the way the Bible says we have sinned? How can we? Now look, I have up to this point only mentioned what I would call God's terrible aspect. Judgment, holiness, wrath, anger towards sin. But for the child of God, there's more. Now look, before I go on, 
If you are not a child of God, if you have not placed your trust in Jesus Christ alone as Savior and asked Him to forgive you and to save you, then God's terrible aspect is all you will experience ultimately. We are all appointed once to die and then the judgment, and you do not know when that appointment is. So lay hold of salvation today. If that describes you, if you are not saved, there will be a time at the end of this service where you can come forward and someone will show you how you can be saved out of the Word of God. Don't, do not delay. Now then, for the child of God, there is His loving aspect as well. If you're saved, then He sees you as this. He sees you in these ways. He sees you as His child. That's John 1.12. You don't need to turn here. John 1.12, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. He sees you as a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. He sees you as holy and beloved. Colossians 3.12, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. He sees you as inheritors with Christ. It's Ephesians 1.11, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. And many, many other things. I can fill pages and pages, okay, with how God sees you when you are one of his children. There is a great lie told by the world. We are all God's children. Not so. Not so. Not true. Only those who have believed on Jesus Christ are his children. There is a great and high destiny that God has for those who put their trust in His Son. All the mighty bestowments of His grace, not for anything we have done, not because we deserve any of it, but because He loved us and He made it possible through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. For the Christian, our identity in Christ means that there is no need for this thing that the world calls self-esteem. A couple of messages ago I talked about that. Self-esteem. It's a phony word. Okay, We don't need that. There is no place for self-flattery or the deceiving adoration of men. There is no call for self-glorification. We who are hidden in the blood of Jesus Christ, there's no need to hide our sins or pretend that they don't exist. We need only confess them and we are forgiven. And so I'll just close with this in summary. The ability to see ourselves in self-perception, we need humility. In the perception of others, we need discernment. In God's eyes, we need only confess our sinful condition and ask Him to save us, and He will give us a new name and a new destiny. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.